Hi, my name is Ruby, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife's assistant, and you're listening to the Dr. Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive. The podcast episode you'll be listening to today is entitled The Psychology of Men's Sexuality, originally produced and published by Zach Rodenizer of the Psychology of Podcast. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Sometimes people will say, well, it's a success because I haven't looked at porn for a year, Mm -hmm. but there's no intimacy in the marriage. They really aren't at peace with themselves. They don't, I mean, I'm not sure that that really is a measure of success because Mm -hmm. there's more of a kind of, I'm just going to put my sexuality in a box and just white knuckle as opposed to a more mature relationship to their embodiment, their sexuality, their inherent sexuality, more ability to be real and open and knowable mm-hmm. in their relationship. And I'm not sure that all approaches really understand what I think would be the goal that actually gives people true peace of mind. Welcome to the Psychology of Podcast, where in each episode, we examine the psychology of a specific aspect of human life and culture. I'm your host, Zach Rodenizer, registered psychologist and director of the Lethbridge Institute of Family Therapy where we treat mental health concerns from a family systems approach, improving your life by improving your interpersonal relationships. My guest for today's episode is Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, who is a relationship and sexuality coach, as well as a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois. She has a PhD in counseling psychology and has taught college level human sexuality courses. In this episode, we talk about male sexuality and the misunderstandings that men and women have about male sexuality. We discuss the challenges around expressing one's sexuality in a way that is true to that person, but might conflict with the expectations of their partner. We discuss performance anxiety and erectile dysfunction, among many other topics that are often too sensitive for men or women to have. This is the psychology of male sexuality. All right. So, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, thank you so much for being on the show. Glad to be here. So I have to uh, I have to tell you that you were here in Lethbridge a year ago, mm-hmm. and yep. my wife was there at your mm-hmm. your uh, workshop, yeah. and she was just blown away. She loved it. Um, right. So you're you're a bit of a hero in our house. So when I told my <laughs> wife that I was talking to you, she she didn't even believe it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so for those for those of our listeners that don't know you yet, can you introduce yourself, introduce sure. what you do and and tell us, you know, a little bit of of what our listeners could could look forward to as far as what you offer? Sure. So I'm Jennifer Finlayson Fife and I, I live in Chicago. Uh, area. And I'm a licensed therapist here. And I also do a lot of online coaching and teaching and then travel and do a lot of workshops uh, for couples and individuals, specifically around marital, well, around intimacy and sexual Mm -hmm. intimacy. So I do a lot of work um, on this front. And so I have online courses around how to improve your relationship, how to create a more intimate and sort of uh, free, open-hearted emotional relationship, how to create that in your sexuality. So deeper integration of your sexuality and how to create a deeper intimate bond. I have an online, it's what your wife went to. So I do this both online and also do live workshops called the art of desire. And Mm -hmm. it's really about women's self and sexual development and how to kind of challenge some of the inherited messages around sexuality and desire in and outside of sexuality, but desire and self-development that often impair people's sense of uh, women's specifically their sense of 
being whole and belonging to their own selves and psyches and bodies. So, and then I'm also in the process right now of developing a men's sexuality course mm. uh, that I'm currently doing a beta version of it with a small group and we'll do a little more development this summer and then it will be available to participate live online in the fall. So, mm. yeah. yeah. That's exciting. And that's exactly what I was hoping we could talk about today and uh, which is, which is male sexuality. And I, yeah. I have to admit it's, it's almost, I don't know, ironic that you know, I'm, I'm a registered psychologist, so I'm, yeah. I, I guess, somewhat of an expert. I am a male, yeah. yet yeah. I am so excited to talk to you and learn from you. Yeah, as what's, a female, yeah. As a female, what's that about? <laughs> yeah. I know, exactly. Well, I have to say, it's a little strange teaching this class, like I, I'm more to the smaller group of men that I'm working with, because I'm like, I have all these perspectives from a clinical perspective, but I am not a man. And so it, it mm. makes me a little more uncomfortable, like, I'm speaking about an experience that I don't know firsthand. I just, I just love a man. That's that much, that much experience I have. (laughs) Yeah, but I I think in some ways that does give you a a, a valuable perspective because, you know, it's kind of like the whole. If you ask a fish, you know, how's the water, and the fish goes, "Well, what water?" You know, for uh, for myself, it's like, you know, helping other people, other men, even. I go, "Oh yeah, you know, like here's some things you might want to consider." But for myself, sometimes I think, "Well, this is just a part of me. Like I don't know. I don't know why I think this. I don't know why I do this." Right. Right. It's much harder to see ourselves sometimes it is. than it is to see others um, because we're not blinded by what's already so normalized. Yeah. Yeah. So how how have you been handling this pandemic and stuff? How's that affected your work? I mean, your your online well, courses are still available, yes, of course. So that's that's great. right. The online course. So we do. I do these live workshops. I had to cancel four events. I would currently be in Oregon doing women's retreat right now if that mm-hmm. if things had been normal, and we would have just returned from a couples trip in France. But sadly, all of that had to be. Mm-hmm canceled, hopefully kicked down the road is what it really is. But so actually postponed. And I was going to actually be in Alberta last month, but that's also been postponed. So I have a couple's retreat in October. So we're just kind of waiting to see what governmental recommendations are, how safe it is, if there's a way to make some accommodations to make it safer. So we're just kind of waiting to see. But otherwise, because so much of my work is online, Mm -hmm. I've been relatively less impacted. Probably the biggest impact is having my kids around all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and so I find myself like, you know, it's harder to focus and get work done. Totally. So I've been a little less productive, I think, but it's yeah. been, it's been okay. So yeah. yeah. Well, good. You know, and, and, and here at our practice here, we do a lot of work with helping uh, couples and individuals who are dealing with uh, infidelity, um, yeah. compulsive, problematic sexual behavior, things yeah. like that. And so, and and I, I see your work as a as a really excellent kind of complement to what we do here. And we mm. we we definitely kind of send people your way with your courses. Mm. Would it be fair to say that you have a sex positive approach? Is that a, is that a term that you are comfortable with? Yeah, I, I don't usually use it very much because sometimes uh, phrases like that have lots of meanings that sure. I don't necessarily know if I can attach myself to, but. I certainly, I I probably would qualify for that phrase because I think I see sexuality as, first of all, really fundamental to the human experience. Mm -hmm. But because it's so core to ourselves and such an intimate part of ourselves, that our ability to navigate it comfortably, to really be at peace with our sexuality is difficult. And that's especially true if we've grown up in families or religious environments that have given us a lot of conflicting and anxiety 
evoking mm-hmm. messages around sex. So very few of us are in a position to be able to create true sexual intimacy because mm-hmm. we're not enough at peace with our own sexuality. So I, coming from an LDS paradigm, you know, we have a cultural interpretation of sexuality and the idea that it will interfere with our goodness. And for those of us who want to be good, well, then we think, okay, I've got to get this somewhere away from me, you know, so that it doesn't pull me down. But I think a better read of our theology is that the body is good and embodiment is essential to our emotional, relational, and spiritual development. And that certainly one can do harm with sexuality, whether it's through excessive repression or indulgent behavior. Mm -hmm. And so it matters, the language itself matters and is powerful, but rather than having anxiety about it and seeing sex as controlling us, the more that we see ourselves as sort of the stewards of this capacity and what we create with it matters. And we can't really get away from that question or that dilemma if you're human. And so helping people to get more anchored into a position of choosing and discerning around how they're in relationship to this inherent part of being human is really the work that I am interested in helping people Mm. with. That's fantastic. And, you know, for, for our work here, a lot of it tends to focus at least in the beginning on controlling behaviors, right? And because a lot of the time there's been damage, there's, there's betrayal. And so it's, Mm -hmm. it's reducing say pornography or whatever. And, Mm -hmm. and so I, I feel like we do a pretty good job of that. And that's what people come to us for. But on the other hand, mm-hmm. it's like, this isn't just about stopping a behavior. Yeah, exactly. Right. Th- there's so much more to it. And I really like what you said there about, you know, us being feeling like we, we are more stewards, not that the sexuality controls us. Yes. But that, right. yeah, but it's, it's a part of us that we can, I don't even like saying we control it, but we're, we're more. Yeah, we're navigating and we're yeah, choosing it. I mean, a lot of times we give the idea that sex is this powerful thing or porn is this powerful thing that will pull you down. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to dismiss how much um, the pleasures can kind of become a place we escape to, to our own destruction. So I, I do understand the human condition of escaping anxiety, escaping discomfort, escaping responsibility. So we will often go to these indulgent places to our own detriment. But when we put the idea that the the sexuality controls the individual, the temptation controls the individual, first of all, I don't think it's theological, but also you take the person out of the driver's seat and you actually kind of tie their hands behind their back and then ask them to manage and navigate this. And so... I'm not dismissing some of the conflicts, but more that you ultimately are the architect of your life. And the more you shame something, the the more you undermine your ability to actually navigate it wisely. Totally. Totally. I agree with you hundred percent. And, mm-hmm. and by giving, by giving your sexuality the power over, like it only, it only has yeah. as much power as you give it. That's right. And that, and exactly. that's where, even though, you know, like we, we tend to, we, we use the addiction model in our treatment but I'm very cautious to just label everyone an addict. And in fact, yes. uh, you know, some guys really, they like it because it helps them kind of, I guess, put it in a box, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. Um, but really by, by taking that moniker on yourself, you're, you're, you, like you said, you're, you're kind of tying yourself up. Like even mm-hmm. if you do well in recovery, you're still under the right. understanding that, that, you know, 
that you are weak and uh, under the impaired same thumb. Impaired, way. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the recovery really needs and to be believing that you are actually, you know, empowered. Whole, whole, whole. exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I um, I think that sometimes you have to look at what is the product or what's being created through the treatment because, and I can't speak to every program or every approach, but sometimes people will say, well, it's a success because I haven't looked at porn for a year, Mm -hmm. but there's no intimacy in the marriage. They really aren't at peace with themselves. They don't, I mean, I'm not sure that that really is a measure of success because there's more of a kind of, I'm just going to put my sexuality in a box and just white knuckle as opposed to a more mature relationship to their Mm-hmm. embodiment, their sexuality, their inherent sexuality, a more ability, a more ability to be real and open and knowable mm-hmm. in their relationship. And I'm not sure that all approaches really understand what I think would be the goal that actually gives people true peace of mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's so difficult too to navigate. And I, and I know you've done a lot of work in this too, but it's so hard to navigate when there is, when one partner is feeling betrayed and so their their mindset is, well, I can't be intimate with this person until he or she shows me sobriety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, again, I'm not an expert in this, but I, I would not be talking. I personally don't talk in the frame of sobriety mm-hmm. and addiction. I don't think, see, even couples I've worked with where the husband, let's say he was looking at porn and he's now not looked at it for a year. Well, she still doesn't trust him. Yeah. I mean, because in some ways that's not really the issue of whether or not he's ever looked at something. The issue is how mature is this couple in being able to function honestly, responsibly, um, and being able to take responsibility for themselves. There's kind of a dependency model mm-hmm. that's often in this, I'm looking for sobriety idea, mm-hmm. which is I'm looking for you to be this kind of idealized male that makes sexuality safe for me. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you looked at porn makes you no longer safe. And even if you haven't looked at a year, I know they're still in your head, you know? Mm-hmm. And so there's always this like challenge of the idea that he's going to be able to produce this idea of safety, which should be challenged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't think it's even the right goal. Mm-hmm. that, you know, she's meaning, I think she should be looking for her husband to be honest mm-hmm. and taking more deep responsibility for himself and his impact and his choices. Um, but the same for her, uh, because oftentimes these problems are more co-constructed than the kind of stereotypical addict mm-hmm. betrayal trauma picture really exposes or shows about where the couple's been functioning. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I like that. I like that way of thinking of it. I, I'm wondering, um, from a female's point of view and from an expert's mm-hmm. point of view, uh, when it comes to male sexuality, is there something, like, like, what are the things that you think women have a hard time understanding about male sexuality? Well, I think especially in, maybe I have a couple ideas about that. I think especially in... Um, traditions where you've learned this idea that sex is a threat to goodness mm-hmm. and sexual desire is a threat to goodness, that men who I think are generally, and I'm speaking kind of stereotypically sure. for a moment, but I think generally speaking, men's sexuality is more easily available to them. I mean, mm-hmm. they understand 
in their first bathtub experiences the pleasure through the phallus, right? And, mm-hmm. and it's not so hard for them to kind of be tuned into this part of themselves, not necessarily at peace with it, but it, mm-hmm. but aware of it. And so I think the ease through which men are kind of comfortable in the language of the body or more comfortable than women often gets translated when you think of sex as bad or potentially a threat it quickly gets reduced to something hedonistic self-serving um you know you you don't really love me through you just you know i'm just somebody you can legitimately have sex with it's easy to want to reduce it to that mm-hmm. rather than and and i'm not speaking that men and women, to be honest, can't be selfish around their relationship to their sexuality, even if it looks different. But I think many men are quite uh, fluent in or more able to communicate love, vulnerability, intimacy, like to show their heart, to show Mm -hmm. how much their spouse matters to them through the language of sexuality. Mm -hmm. And if a partner can really receive that and uh, allow that to be real for her, I mean, I think that, that that can be appreciated for what a what an intimate way of communicating that it can be. But if one is afraid of it and thinks all sexuality is inherently suspect, mm-hmm. it's, it's a tough um, understanding. And I think men can also be very generous in their sexuality. Mm-hmm. And men many oftentimes want very much to... To please. Bless, right? bless and please and, and mm-hmm. nurture through their sexuality. And if that's all seen as somehow self-serving, it, it gets deeply misunderstood. Right. Yeah. Cause you had mentioned earlier about the importance of being, I can't remember exactly how you said it, but like embodied, like in your body. Yes. And so many of us are so much in our heads all the time, in our yes. heads, in our heads. And for a yes. lot of men, and I'm sure women too, but for a lot of men, it's almost like the only experience that they know that is truly embodied is sex. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Right. right. And it's, yes. It's, it's the only time that they ever feel really comfortable and maybe they don't feel comfortable, but, but where they feel really kind of like plugged in, unified, kind of in, yes. it's almost in a spiritual way. Like I am yes. in my body right now yes. and my head is I, turned off. Yes, exactly. And I actually think, and I talk about this in my couples course quite a bit, is that sort of counter to a lot of Christian interpretations, which is the idea that the body interferes with spirituality. Yeah. I would argue that sort of a peaceful embodiment, peaceful integration with our bodies is where we can experience the highest forms of spirituality. When you really can rest into the animal of your being mm-hmm. and really be at ease and know that you are loved and and love through it. Like you can be at peace in this embodiment and really be known. Uh, I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of the highest human experience, I think. And I think men are often more the leaders on that front. Mm-hmm. because they're, I don't want to oversimplify because I think many men are very conflicted yes. about their sexuality given the messages that they have. But I think it can be an easier language and an easier place for men to lead the way. And I think we can often be ambivalent about that, especially as women, if we're more anxious about sexuality mm-hmm. um, and then just want to basically write it off as something selfish. Yeah, especially if if male sexuality is kind of portrayed as... Uh, something that causes harm, which obviously yes. it can. Obviously it, it can. can and, and well, and I think it's hard for men often who are navigating, you know, an era of Me Too and seeing mm-hmm. that there really are dark characters out there who do dark things, or mm-hmm. being aware of one's own ability to do selfish and hurtful things. Mm-hmm. You know, and that can be true, but I think it can get harder to navigate what 
what constitutes goodness and what doesn't and where am I being selfish or objectifying is a word we use a lot versus, you know, allowing myself to feel attraction and desire and still create good through it. And that's, you know, I don't think that's an easy thing to parse out for a lot of people. No, no, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to manage that. So maybe that leads us into this mm-hmm. next question that I have is what is something that men tend to have a hard time understanding about male sexuality in your opinion? Yeah, well, I think maybe just a lot of those same ideas, like, because I think if you, again, coming from a religious context, if at the emergence of sexuality at their age 12, 13, you start hearing the messages that this is shameful that if you ever masturbate or you're feeling attraction or sexual feelings that you are distancing yourself from God. Mm -hmm. Well, there is this implicit shame. Like on the one hand, it's inherent to being, I I think females get more of the message that sexuality and desire is not really congruent with femininity. You can be desirable, but not necessarily desire. Mm -hmm. Men, I think, get more of the message that, yeah, you're going to desire because it's a part of masculinity, but it's a problem. Yeah. So, you know, it's dangerous. You're going to, we give a dual message. So it's like, yeah, you're going to, if you keep it together till you get married, then you can do this to your wife Mm -hmm. who it's not really clear she's going to want it, but you get to. (laughs) And, you know, uh, but it's like a dual message of both a kind of entitlement, but also it's not really a good thing and -hmm. you have to keep it under control all the time. So I think when you get that very conflicted message about sexuality, rather than I think a healthier idea is like, no, you should be having sexual feelings. Nothing's going wrong. That's a part of normal sexual development. But how you navigate and relate to those feelings and what you create through them, like giving it a direction is a much healthier way of helping people integrate their impulses and their feelings and their thoughts rather than being deeply anxious about their presence Mm. and feeling like you're trying to manage, uh, trying to get something to go away that's not going to go away. Then it becomes much more unruly. And so I think for men, it's like, is, is their sexuality, in fact, a good thing? I can't tell you how many men have said to me, I just wish I could make the feelings go away. Yeah. Like it's only making my life harder. It's making my wife's life harder. And it's like a huge burden and to not resent it in a way, even within themselves, rather than seeing that there, that sexuality can be a great source of goodness in life. And something that they don't, I mean, you have to come to a, I mean, I can say more about this when it comes to kind of navigating couple sexuality, if you want to ask questions about any of that. Mm-hmm. But I think that that the pathway forward is challenging a lot of those messages that have interfered with your ability to come to peace with the presence of your sexuality, mm-hmm. whether or not uh, you are able to express it in a marriage in a way that is consistent with what you desire. I just want to go back to your question though. I think I have just one other piece I would say that I think something a lot of men have a difficult time with is I think that because of testosterone, because of the way that men are generally wired, I think men, you know, masculine energy tends to appreciate feminine beauty. Okay. Mm -hmm. Men are drawn to female beauty men. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think if you have this idea that that means you are objectifying, that means you're reducing the fact that you notice the woman in the swimming suit means that you are devaluing her. I think it's just, again, it problematizes something that's an inherent part of male sexuality. And it's not so much the noticing of the feminine, the noticing of the beauty, 
of another, but how you relate to the reality of that other human being. And what, you know, I think if you shame the fact of attraction, you shame the fact of desire, um, and then you make it to handle that, you make it women's responsibility to handle your feelings, either by being sexual with you or covering up, then it's very easy to basically have contempt for women who create feelings in you that you can't handle. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's how it often gets where you're shaming women for their beauty, for their modesty, for their whatever. Right. Rather, it com- it's at the root and inability to kind of tolerate your capacity to notice feminine beauty all the time. Mm. And there's nothing inherently wrong with it. It just is whether or not it interferes with your self-respect and respect of the people around you. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's difficult too when you're when you're in a relationship though because if you wanted to be just completely transparent and you, while you're with your partner, you see someone and they're attractive and, and your first initial, you know, response is, Oh, she's pretty attractive or he's attractive or whatever. Um, there's a lot of that, that might not be the most tactful thing to say in certain situations. Yeah, I don't know that you need to necessarily go around saying, gosh, I noticed this gorgeous woman (laughs) today, (laughs) but I remember once my husband and I were in Italy, uh, quite a few years back. And we were on this bus in Florence and this stunningly beautiful woman got on the bus. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, my husband and I both were like, couldn't stop looking at her. She was gorgeous. I would never begrudge my husband for looking at her. I couldn't even stop looking at her. (laughs) She was the essence of female beauty right there. Now, I think, I know that my husband loves me, chooses Mm -hmm. me brings his best to me. I'm not, I don't sort of imagine that he should not ever notice female beauty around him, but I don't feel threatened by it because he is honest with me. He brings his best to me. He doesn't lie to me. He doesn't hide information from me, but I don't expect that his sexuality must always reinforce me. Mm -hmm. I've counseled um, men and couples, especially that like, yeah, you don't want to be going around going, well, she's hot, she's hot, whatever. But <laughs> yeah. at the same time, when there's someone who is objectively just stunning and you go, mm, didn't even notice her, mm, you know, that, that, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's a little suspect. Liar. Yeah. And, and, and then yeah. I don't think that builds safety in a no. relationship either. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. So it's, it's, again, just sort of trusting yourself that you can acknowledge that beauty, but still not, you know, reduce that person to, you know, an object for you or, uh, or be less honest and sincere and real in the person you've chosen. Yeah. Well, let's talk more about that. You'd mentioned kind of the me too um, idea and it it is a difficult time. I don't want to say, you know, Mm -hmm. oh, poor men, but it's a difficult Mm -hmm. time right now for a man to, to advocate or express his, uh, his sexual needs, his sexual wants, Mm-hmm. At, at this time, because it's a there's a whole other layer here of like if I say if if I am, mm-hmm. if I'm honest with my feelings that might be taken as objectifying or or even violent in my words mm-hmm. you know so how do you help men yeah. navigate this? Well, first of all, there's a difference between acknowledging a desire and a feeling when you're on a le- level playing field, mm-hmm. and it's another thing if you have power over someone. Right. And it is coercive inherently because of the power over them that you have. And that's what we have to remember because the Me Too movement is really about that. It is about that. It's about that. Because, you know, 
if you really are economically, you are in a, on an equal playing field, you don't, you won't be, I mean, somebody can express what they want. Mm -hmm. They can, they can claim their desire, but it's not going to impair you or harm you if you Mm -hmm. can refuse it and say, no, thanks. So it's really about coercion and, you know, many people can be coercive psychologically, even in their marriages, because the marriage is arranged in a one up, one down psychological environment. And mm. so that's the fundamental issue that the couple has arranged themselves in this way, either, you know, emotionally, psychologically, or even economically. Um, but, you know, the more that women have real choices, have more equal economic capacity, the more you take that coercive element away. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm helping couples to confront the way that this uh, plays out in a marriage that a woman doesn't really feel like she can say no because she can't handle her husband's dysregulation. And he kind of uses his dysregulation and punishment to pressure her into saying yes. And so she, he might get compliance, but he knows he's always having sex with a woman who doesn't want to be there. And so they kind of are complicit in this mm-hmm. arrangement that creates a lot of resentment on both sides. Yeah, and so it, it's helping them to see their participation in that. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, totally against obviously any type of emotional coercion or or blackmailing or anything like that. But at the same time, in in a in a healthy relationship, if if sex is denied to any partner, shouldn't it be fair game to express some sort of disappointment in that, right? Because it's such it's such a vulnerable bid. Yeah, it is vulnerable, and where I think couples struggle around this question is intimacy is not what we usually mean culturally when we say intimacy is I express something about myself and then you tell me it's okay and you love me and you'll receive what I express (laughs) where you know Dr. David Schnarch right exactly exactly and so there's therapies that are sort of designed to do that which is you validate it and say that you Mm. can understand that idea as a way of saying you know we want to make this a place where it's safe to express the underbelly. But the reality is there's no real safety in intimate relationships yeah. because if you're going to really create intimacy, you have to be willing to expose who you are mm-hmm. and there's no safety in that. And this is something that Dr. David Schnarch talks about wh- whose work I follow closely. Mm. And, um, and so intimacy is a unilateral behavior And so, yeah, I think it's absolutely fine for men or women to express what they desire. And in fact, I think not only just fine, I think it's a part of intimacy. Mm -hmm. This is who I am. This is where I stand. But when it's an act of healthy intimacy, it's that you can validate your own desire and your own sexuality, and you're not waiting for your wife to make it okay. Mm -hmm. Because I think what, what we set up a lot is that your sexuality is not okay unless your wife validates it through wanting it. Mm-hmm. And so when she has her own sexual anxieties and she won't validate you through wanting it back, then the resentment often goes to her because she's not making it okay for you to be sexual, mm-hmm. for you to be a sexual being. And so then the focus often gets on her sexual repression and her sexual issues. But the reality is, is both people in that relationship are having a hard time validating the legitimacy of sex. Mm. And she doesn't want to have to carry that weight for you because she's got her own issues with it. <laughs> mm, yeah. So it's it's not about that you should hide who you are to manage her feelings, but don't make her 
handle the, the question of the legitimacy of your sexuality. Right. So there's a difference between, yes, I'm disappointed. I want a deeper relationship with you. I feel like you, my desire for you is good. Mm-hmm. My desire for you needs no apology. I want mm-hmm. a deep sexual relationship with you. And it breaks my heart that you don't seem to want it. And I'm willing to deal with whatever I might be doing that's interfering with you wanting it. If I'm, do, if I'm playing a role in that being something that's undesirable, I will do my part because I really want that with you. That's a person who can claim the legitimacy of the sexuality, isn't apologizing for his desire, and is willing to take up his part of whatever is needed to make something better. But he's not going to punish her for not making his sexuality okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? You know, it's a very it different thing than I'm disappointed versus I'm going to make you pay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what I think what happens though is that disappointment is expressed in a way that can come off as a punishment. You know, but I would, yes, but I'm very, or whatever. yeah, yeah, but I'm very suspicious of that because it's not misinterpreted as a punishment. It's a punishment, it's mm. a self regulation strategy, which is if I can kind of judge you and make you defective, I can mm-hmm. put myself back together over here. Right. So it's an actual move that may be instinctive. You may not be mm-hmm. like scheming to do it, but you you do it as a way to put yourself back together. I'd rather feel like a superior victim than really deal with, you know, I, I think I brought this up in another podcast, but like I remember once somebody asked me like, my wife doesn't desire me and I, you know, it's so painful and she won't deal with her sexuality and blah, blah, blah. And I just asked, you know, have you asked her the question of what is undesirable about you? Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, never asked that question. <laughs> okay. That's a pretty obvious question if you're trying to create a better relationship and she doesn't desire you, but it's also very human to not want to know the answer to that question. So that's the idea. Like, I'd rather pathologize you and your relationship to sexuality as a way to feel that I'm okay than really deal honestly with myself and with you about my participation in a non-intimate marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that can be tricky sometimes because just emotionally, you might you might go into that kind of Absolutely. manipulative People do victim it all. mode for sure. Oh, and you don't 100%. even know it. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's yeah. what my work is all the time. Is yeah. helping. And don't see. I get to? Don't I get to express my? Feelings? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I have my feelings, and I don't want to have to pre- repress them. Right. And I, and, you know, people do this all the time unwittingly. Oh yeah. Meaning they're just playing out the fact that their sense of self is getting punctured hmm. by the struggles in their marriage, and they're often doing things that you know, they're not scheming, they're doing things instinctively mm-hmm. that are interfering with it growing, but that help them handle their sense of self. Yeah. You know, or like on the woman's side, it's like, oh, I'm going to be the victim of my husband's desire. That way I don't have to confront the question of my own sexual development. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so Easier. we find lots of loopholes. Yeah. We're tricky. Um, yes. <laughs> with- <laughs> There's a question I definitely want to ask before we run out of time here. If we're going to talk about male sexuality, we've got to talk mm-hmm. about performance anxiety yeah. and erectile dysfunction. You know, and sure. And as we mentioned before, it's very easy to paint a picture that says men just want sex because they're very um, selfish and they just want yep. pleasure. Um, but in my opinion and in my experience, uh, it's very. There's a lot. I don't know if this is fair to say more than women, but I think there's a lot of pressure put on men to perform. 100%, 100% that's right? true. 
and uh, and it becomes less about intimacy and more about yeah how how good am I at right. this that or the other and so that's right. what's and, and and we don't have a ton of time to expand yeah. expound on this but what's what's your counsel to men who are sure well first of all you're absolutely it? right you know so men women can be more vulnerable and still be feminine you know what mm-hmm. I mean like and still be legitimate women you can have sexual dysfunction never have had an orgasm and, and that doesn't interfere with you as a woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, arguably some people would say, well, no, it does make me feel broken, but, but it, it's still more acceptable mm-hmm. for men. There's very much this idea that my sexual prowess, my, this, this is a kind of measure of my masculinity, of my strength, of my desirability. And we kind of give men the disproportionate responsibility for sex. You're mm-hmm. supposed to give her an orgasm, that kind mm-hmm. of idea, rather mm-hmm. than you're a participant in her seducing her o- own orgasm with you. I mean, that's mm-hmm. really what it is, actually. Mm-hmm. And then if they have a, re- a partner who has their own anxieties and is not very responsive and so on, then the man's anxiety increases because it's not working and he can't get the response that he wants. And she can read that he wants the response, which makes it harder for her to have a response because she's trying to manage his feelings about himself. And there can often be in a couple very high amounts of anxiety and a not very pleasant experience around sex, even though it's supposed to be this quintessential experience because Mm -hmm. it's loaded with anxieties about performance and the issues of self and Mm -hmm. self-legitimacy are at the core of this struggle. So when anyone has high anxiety, women will have a difficulty having an orgasm if anxiety is high. Mm -hmm. So she feels like, oh my gosh, she must be so bored. It's taking so long. What's my problem? She's not going to orgasm or she's going to have a harder time orgasming. For a man, he'll either have premature ejaculation. Mm -hmm. And if he can sort of white knuckle through that, then he will have delayed orgasm or or, you know, or, and not be able to, or have uh, erectile dysfunction. So anxiety basically interferes with sexual functioning. Sure. So the response to that, and I have, have integrated some exercises that Dr. Schnarch recommends, but of how to create deeper self-regulation mm-hmm. when you're in intimate contact with your spouse, how to work with a level of anxiety, the interpersonal anxiety, so that your body is more able to do what you want it to do. But when you're dealing with performance anxiety, uncertainty about the legitimacy of your desires, uncertainty about the legitimacy of sexuality in general, I mean, there is a ton of weight and sexual dysfunction is inevitable. Mm -hmm. And people often don't even realize how much is weighing, interfering with their body doing what it would naturally do in a less stressful thing. That's why a lot of people choose porn, because Mm -hmm. a lot of the anxiety is reduced and their bodies, they have more sense of control and less exposure and they don't have to deal with these, no risk, right? No, Yeah, no one's one's rejecting you, no one's evaluating you. Exactly. And so it kind of is a way to be sexual, but kind of step away from those pressure points. And for a lot of people, they don't know how to even know what's going on or know how to address what's going on but you know when a couple can be see better and i do a lot of this in both of my couples courses to be able to see better how they are using the relationship to manage questions about their own legitimacy when they can see the way that they're participating in that or punishing the other person for not holding up their sense of self and start to handle themselves better they become more capable of intimacy. They become mm-hmm. more capable of desire and they start building an emotional foundation that allows eroticism to be present and free mm-hmm. and open mm-hmm. and, and responsible ultimately mm-hmm. something that has more integrity in it. You know, sexuality is such a hallmark, intimate sexuality in a long-term relationship is a real hallmark of, of 
emotional and, and self-development mm. because that's the ability to really be at peace with yourself and really bring it to another person and mm. that it can really bless your life greatly, it can really create true peace and happiness within a couple if you can achieve that. That sounds like the absolute best place to just end there, but I want to squeeze one more question out. Sure, go for it. <laughs> In your work I've seen, and you, you talk about high desire partners and low desire partners, mm-hmm. but can you just comment for a sec on, on the fact that sometimes the man can be the low desire partner? Sure. And that is a possible. And I'm wondering if sure. that ties in, in your opinion, to the anxiety that you were just mentioning. It absolutely does. And, you know, men can be low desire for lots of different reasons. I'm sure these men exist, but I haven't had much of this in my practice. Usually men are low desire in the relationship, mm-hmm. but they aren't necessarily low desire for sex. Mm-hmm. So they may find other ways to be sexual, but they have low desire in the relationship. Oftentimes that's ambivalence about sex. It's ambivalence about exposure. It may be ambivalence about women, you know, especially if mm-hmm. they grew up with a harsh mother and have their own hostilities towards women, right? They don't necessarily want to make love to a woman. Mm -hmm. It also may be a dynamic where the woman kind of is castrating and runs the relationship and the husband's complicit in that. Okay. So Mm -hmm. it's not like she's just doing it to him. It's like a, Mm -hmm. it's a dynamic, but then there is no freedom or desire to be sexual with her except for to manage her. Hmm. and to manage her feelings. So there can be lots of reasons why, uh, and I've pathologized all of them. I mean, I don't think that it's, (laughs) I mean, just like in any dynamic, there is going to be naturally, even in very healthy couples that love each Mm -hmm. other and are comfortable with sexuality, there may be a difference where the woman is the higher desire person or communicates Mm -hmm. herself more easily through the body than the husband does. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm talking about very punctuated dynamics where there's sort of a um, unnatural suppression Mm -hmm. that, you know, often it has to do with intimacy of the marriage and whether or not one wants to bring themselves there, be generous there. And if they don't want to, there's often good reasons. I'm not saying it means that's the end point, but there's often something going on that is suppressing why he would want to be sexual in this relationship and may have nothing to do with the wife, but but something in him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Jennifer, it has been an education Thank you so much. You're and this welcome. is this just gives people a little taste of what you have to offer with your courses and your workshops. And thank you so much for being on the show. And we'll make sure that on our show notes, we have links to all of your websites and everything. Great. So awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me, Zach. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, check out the links in our show notes below to learn more about where you can find Dr. Finlayson Fife's website, her online courses, information about her upcoming events, information about her free Facebook group, and more. Thank you for being here.